they can dismiss out the back with Miss Casey. Um, if you have children that are older than that, are going to stay with us. There are activities on that uh, back table that they are free to grab and take to their seat. Uh, there's also a sermon notes back there designed for your children that goes along with the sermon uh, they can grab and use uh, throughout uh, the sermon. Uh, well, if you've been with us recently, we are currently in the midst of a series on the Exodus in which we are looking at God's rescue of his people from Egyptian captivity. Uh, within that, we are looking at God's rescue of us from uh, sin's bondage and consequences. Last week, if you were here, we looked at plagues three through six, and today we were uh, scheduled to look at plagues seven through nine, which are hail, locusts, and darkness, but that just felt like too much for Father's Day. Um, so today we're going to take a break from the plagues, and we're going to spend some time uh, reflecting on fathers, and more importantly, spend some time looking at who our Heavenly Father is and who we are uh, in Him. At times, culture can be dismissive of fathers. Uh, TV loves to poke fun at fathers, uh, but deep down, we all look for and long for the love and approval of our Father. Um, I think about coaching my children, especially uh, my youngest children, and when I am coaching uh, little ones, especially those that are like three to six years old, it is a special day for those kids when their dad is there to watch practice or the game, especially in our community where uh, we have shift work schedules. It's, it's so special when dad is there. Now, I'm not being dismissive of moms. You know, we know that none of the kids would be there fed or with a water bottle or clean uniforms. It wasn't for moms, but it is a special day when dad is there. When dad's at practice, kids can't wait to tell me that their dad is there. They, they often drag me over to introduce me to dad, and they're constantly distracting, making sure that their dad saw their latest feet and running over to get his approval. Uh, I, we, I'm coaching a pitching machine team right now. We've got a four-year-old on our team, and every at-bat of his dad is there. He stops mid-at-bat, waves to his dad, and then comes back. It's awesome. These kids are three, four, five years old, but it's a big deal when dad is there. Again, that's not a knock on mom. We exist because of moms. But there is the, in, within us this innate desire, even at a young age, to hear the approval, applause, and love of dad. God has created and wired us with this desire for relationship with our dad. I read this article a while back, and I may have even shared it before, but uh, this, its findings just struck me. Uh, Dr. Peggy Drexler, she wrote an article for Psychology Today. And in her article, she researched 75 highly successful professional women. These women uh, were women had successful careers, and they had what they described as happy marriages and happy families at home. She wrote, in my research into the lives of some 75 high-achieving, clearly independent women, I knew that I would find a powerful connection between them and the first men in their lives, because many other studies have confirmed that. But what surprised me was how deep and surprisingly traditional the bond is, how powerful it remains throughout their lives, and how resilient it can be even when the father has caused grievous harm. She went on to say no matter how successful their careers, how happy their marriages, or how fulfilling their lives, women told me that their happiness passed through a filter of their father's reactions. Many told me that they tried to remove the filter and much of their surprise had failed. She said, we know that fathers play a key role in the development and choices of their daughters. But even for women whose fathers had been neglectful or abusive, I found a hunger for approval. They all wanted a warm relationship with men who did not deserve any relationship at all. She concluded the article by saying, non-traditional families are gaining acceptance everywhere, from TV sitcoms to our own neighborhoods. But even in such families that are successful in every other aspect, 
I found that the absence of a father during a girl's formative years resonates into adulthood. Good father, bad father, indifferent father, absent father. In my work with the women whose stories form the heart of my book, I encounter them all. The stories are as different as the women themselves. But I found one thing time and time again. Our fathers are a potent and enduring part of ourselves. Isn't that amazing? Society has changed. It has progressed. It has told us that fathers aren't necessary, that the hurt isn't real, that the need isn't real. But researchers are telling us that fathers do indeed matter. And they wouldn't use this language, but God has created us with a desire to be loved and approved by our dad. And the reality is that some of you hear this and you smile because you had a dad that loved you, that came to every game, that made you a priority, that told you he was proud of you and was your biggest fan. If that's you, consider yourself blessed today and call your dad and tell him you love him. For me, that's the kind of dad I grew up with, and I am so blessed to walk in that legacy. But the reality is we aren't all blessed with a great dad. And whether we're willing to admit it or not, we struggle with the reality that our dad was absent. He never approved of us. He was always too busy to spend time with us. Or maybe he was a terrible dad that made our home unsafe to be. Statistics today tell us that one in four children in America grow up without a dad in the home. We know that many other homes have a dad that may be present but is far from healthy. And so this becomes a struggle for many of us when we hear of a God that desires to relate with us like a father. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years that have struggled mightily with a God that would call himself dad. Because they had never known a dad. Or the dad they knew was a disaster and unsafe to be around. And so today on Father's Day, I want to take time to talk about who God is. Who he is as our heavenly father. How he loves us as our heavenly father. And how, he, and how that reality reshapes our identity in Christ as a loved son or daughter of the king. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you've made a way for us to be forgiven and to experience life in you. God, we thank you that you don't relate to us as a distant God, but that you relate to us as father, as dad. That you desire to, to lead us and guide us uh, in an intimate fashion. And so, God, I pray that, that as we study who you are, Lord, that you would help us to better find our identity in you. That we would better find our identity in you as father than maybe the father we had here on earth. And, God, I pray that you would just work in our hearts today, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truth and the reality of who you, is, who you are and who we are in you. God, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So one of, the, one, of the amazing, uh, one of the many amazing things about Jesus' ministry is the name that he uses for God over and over again. And the name that Jesus uses over and over again to describe God is Father. Even at times, he uses the intimate word Abba, which better translates to Daddy today. And in the most difficult moments of his life in ministry, when he's in the garden, when he's on the cross, Jesus calls out to God and he uses the word Father. In fact, in the Gospel of John alone, God, uh, Jesus refers to God as Father 156 different times. And this displays the intimacy between Jesus and the Father, but it also displays the intimacy, the relationship that God desires to have with all that follow after him. This intimacy between God and his followers and this use of the word father would have been completely shocking to Jesus' Jewish audience. 
Author Anne Spangler describes it like this. She says, pious Jews were quite aware of the gap between a holy God and themselves as sinful human beings. They would have never dared to address God as Abba. Jesus shocked many of his contemporaries by referring to God as his father and by inviting his followers to call him father as well. He did that instead of depicting God as a typical Middle Eastern patriarch who wielded considerable power within the family. Instead, Jesus depicted God primarily as a tender and compassionate father who extends grace to both the sinner and the self-righteous. God desires to relate with us intimately as our father, but the struggle is some of us have had terrible fathers or no father, or at the very best, a far from perfect father. And because of that, we struggle to grasp this relationship and what Jesus is trying to describe to us here. But the truth is God doesn't just desire to be a better version of our earthly dad, but God is a perfect heavenly father. And so that's our first point today, and that is that God is our perfect father. Our God's not just a good dad, but he is our perfect father. I mean, I try my best to be a good dad to my kids. I love my kids more than they will ever understand. I try to be there for them the best that I know how. But the reality is I will fail them. I will say the wrong thing and hurt them. I'll be absent someday when they need me. I'll react too quickly and harshly before I know the facts and I'll fail them. As hard as I try and as much as I love them, I will fail them in this life. But our God will never fail us. God cares for you and he loves you as a perfect father. God is without error and without sin. He cannot and he will not fail you and let you down. He's a father that will never hurt you, will never abandon you, will always be there for you, will always love you, will always approve of you and claim you as his own if you are his child. Sanders went on to say, if you want to perceive who God the Father is, she said, earthly models will fail you. Far better to read the parable Jesus told an audience composed of both sinners and self-righteous religious leaders. Two groups that had much in common, though they may not have thought so. And Jesus offers both a stunning portrait of a father who responds to the appalling behavior of two sons in ways that no Middle Eastern patriarch would have. We spent a little time looking at the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 last week. So we won't dive deep into it. But in this parable, Jesus describes who our God is as our father. He is a father who loves us even when we run. He's a father that forgives. He's a father that never gives up on waiting for us. He's a father that runs to us. He's a father who picks us up when we fail. He's a follower, a father that calls us to change when we are self-righteous. He's a father that challenges us to be more like him. He's a father that is always there for us no matter our slip-ups. God is the perfect father that we never have here on earth. He is trustworthy. He is worthy of our faith, and we can surrender and trust our life to him. Our God is the perfect father, and it's as a father that Jesus relates to him, and it's within the intimacy of a father-child relationship that Jesus tells us God desires to relate to us as well. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul in Galatians 4 says, But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but you are now God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. God sent Jesus at just the right time to give his life so that we can not only be forgiven of our sins, but so that we could be in a relationship with God himself. So that we could become his adopted children. So that we we could become heirs of God in Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a son or daughter of the king, the Bible says. A son or daughter of the perfect heavenly father. And that leads to our second point. That point is this, that your heavenly father loves you. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5a, perhaps my favorite verse in the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love and love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so if you ever question whether or not God loves you, Romans 5.8 says he demonstrates his love for us in this, that when Christ died, you had nothing to offer, but he loved you so much he sent Jesus. When you were still a sinner, when you were far from God, he sends Jesus, and Jesus gives his life for you because of God's love for you. The Bible declares your heavenly father loves you. Your earthly dad may have been absent. He may have hurt you. He may have never told you that he loved you. But your heavenly father is perfect and he absolutely loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he saw you as a sinner far off and he made a way by sending Jesus to give his life for you. You go back to that story, the prodigal son. The father loves the son, but he, and he doesn't just wait for the son to return, but instead he is actively scanning the horizon day in, day out, looking for his son to return. And when he sees him, he runs to his son. He embraces his son. He loves his son. He forgives his son. Your heavenly father loves you. He sent Jesus to give his life for you. He offers forgiveness if you will return to him. He waits for you, and he makes you one of his own. God loves you, and he cares for you as as a perfect father. The next truth I want us to see about our heavenly father is this. Your heavenly father will never forsake you, and he will never fail you. In Psalm 27, 10, David writes this. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David says, even those those closest to me, or perhaps uh, maybe in your case, those that should be close to you, even though they will forsake me, even though they will fail me, even though they will let me down, the Lord will receive me. Your heavenly father is perfect. He loves you and he will never forsake you. The author of Hebrews references Deuteronomy 31.6, and he says this. It says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid, for what can mere mortals do to me? Oswald Chambers, in his devotion, my utmost first highest, wrote of these verses. He wrote, I will never leave you, not for any reason, not my sin, selfishness, stubbornness, nor waywardness. Have I really let God say to me that he will never leave me? If I have not truly heard this assurance of God, let me listen again. I will never forsake you. He says, sometimes it's not the difficulty of life, but the drudgery of it that makes me think God will forsake me. When there is no major difficulty to overcome, no vision from God, nothing wonderful or beautiful, just the everyday activities of life, do I hear God's assurance even in these? He says, we have the idea that God is going to do some exceptional things. 
that he is preparing and equipping us for some extraordinary work in the future. But as we grow in his grace, we find that God is glorifying himself even in the here and now, at this very moment. If we have God's assurance behind us, the most amazing strength becomes ours. And we learn to sing, glorifying him, even in the ordinary days and ways of life. God will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. As we said, even the greatest dads will fail us at times. Even the greatest dads will someday leave us and abandon us through death. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And you can find your confidence, your hope, your identity in him. And in his love and faithfulness to you. We mentioned it earlier, but God in his nature is holy and he is without sin. God always keeps his promises. He is always good. He is always right. Because of that, not only will he never forsake you, but he will never fail you and let you down. We live in a skeptical culture because again and again, those that we have looked up to, those that we have put on a pedestal, they have failed us. Think about throughout the 80s and 90s, America felt like a member of the Huxtable family. And their father, portrayed by Bill Cosby, became affectionately known as America's dad. These days, it's a struggle to even find a rerun of the Cosby show. Because America's dad turned out to be a quite a lousy person. He failed us and he let us down. And we all probably have personal stories of those that we have elevated in our minds only to watch them fall. And because of that, it is hard for us at times to put our faith and trust in God. Because we subconsciously, we expect him to fail us as well. But the Bible tells us we can rest easy because of the character of who God is. God is perfect. He is holy. He is without sin. And because of that, he cannot and he will not fail you. Your earthly father, your spouse, your friend, your business partner, they probably have and they will fail you to varying degrees. But your heavenly father is holy. He is perfect. And he cannot and will not fail you. You can trust him and follow after him completely with no fear that he will ever harm you, fail you, abandon you, or forsake you. Your Heavenly Father is good. He loves you. He is with you, and he is for you. Final truth I want us to see about our Heavenly Father, and that is this. And that is that your Heavenly Father approves of you. God has created us from our youngest age to the day we die, die desiring the love and approval of our dad. As we saw earlier, we can deny or ignore this desire, but God has hardwired us with a desire to have the approval of our dad. If you remember back to Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is 30 years old. He's about to begin his earthly ministry, and he goes to John the Baptist, and he says, John, baptize me. John recognizes who Jesus is. He says, I can't baptize you. It's you who should be baptizing me. But Jesus insists, baptize me so that, you, so that I can model this step of obedience to those who will come in the future. And John baptizes him. In verses 16 and 17, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. Jesus is baptized. His ministry is beginning. And God speaks over him. This is my Son, whom I love. And I am well pleased. Isn't that what we all long to hear from our dads? This is my son. This is my daughter. I claim him. I'm proud of him. I love him, and I am well pleased with him. 
The reality is some of us will never hear our dad speak this over us. But our heavenly father speaks this over you daily. If you have accepted Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you have accepted his forgiveness, and the Bible tells us that you are an adopted son of God. The Bible tells us you have received the righteousness of Jesus. Not because of your works, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And the Bible says when God sees you as his son or daughter, he doesn't see your failures and your sins. But instead he sees the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. And he speaks over you this. He says, this is my son, this is my daughter, and I love him and I am well pleased. Your heavenly father is perfect. He loves you. He will never forsake you. The Bible says he approves of you. Your earthly father might lack all of those things, or he might be the best earthly father out there. But we know he will fail us at times. God, on the other hand, is perfect. He loves you. He will never forsake you. And he approves of you. He approves of you. He claims you. And he loves you. If you're here today and you don't know God in that manner, then know that today, know, then today know that he loves you. Know that he sent Jesus to die and pay the penalty for your sins. Know that he is waiting for you to repent and return to him. And if you do that, he promises to forgive you. He promises that you will inherit an eternity in heaven with him. And more than that, he promises that you will have a relationship with him. He promises to be the perfect father. And he promises to make you one of his own. So if you don't know God like that, will you take the step to surrender your life to him today? To experience his forgiveness, to hear him say, this is my son. This is my daughter who I love and am well pleased. The Bible says if you surrender your heart, he will forgive you. You can do that in your seat today. You can come and talk with me when we're done, or you can talk to a friend or family member that knows Jesus. That leads to our final point. And this is the, kind of the application to the reality of a perfect father that loves us. And that final point is this. Be imitators of your heavenly father. Again, the hope, the promise here is that we as followers of Jesus all have a perfectly heavenly father that loves us, that cares for us, that models for us, and calls us to follow after him. And so if you had a great father or a not so great father, God is calling you to follow his lead and his ways. Paul in Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul says to the believers at Ephesus and to us today, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to act as a dad or a mom. Be an imitator of God. As children, be imitators of your heavenly father. Paul doesn't call us to be imitators of our earthly dads, but he calls us to be imitators of our heavenly fathers. In life, we tend to act like the father we had in our lives. We tend to pass on the deficit of the experience of our lives onto our children, onto our grandchildren, onto those we interact with daily. But the gospel is the power to break that chain of bad fatherhood of a bad example. Because the Bible tells us you are not just a son of Joe or a son of Dave or whatever your dad's name is. But you are the son or daughter of the king of the universe, the creator of the world, the perfect father. And because of that, you can be the best possible dad, granddad, mentor, teacher, whatever the role, because you are a loved son or daughter of a perfect father. The Bible says that's your primary identity. That's who you are. And I know that's easy to say from up here on a Sunday morning. 
But that's the reality. We are made alive to his sons and daughters of the king. Now, it's not easy. It doesn't magically become second nature to love and forgive like Jesus. But when our heavenly father becomes our model as opposed to other people or relationships in our lives, it changes who we are. But we have to seek after him. He has to become the one we strive to imitate in our daily lives and in our relationship. And here's the deal. Because you have a perfect heavenly father that loves you and cares for you and is an example for your life, then you as, a, you, as you follow after God, can break the chains and habits of your family of origin. Just because you grew up in a difficult home or with an absent or lousy father, that doesn't mean you have to replicate that in your home, in your work, or in your neighborhood. Kane Brown's a country music singer, and he, he sang of this. He said, they say that dads are supposed to shape you, and he said, in a way, I guess mine did. I knew that I wouldn't do it if I ever had a kid. They say history repeats itself. Well, I guess that's up to me. He says, I grew up without a dad, but I'm going to be the best one I can be. The amazing thing is if you are a son or daughter of the king, you don't have to just change that into your own power. But instead, you have a heavenly father to pursue to imitate and to shape you into the dad, husband, mom, grandparent, teacher, co-worker, and neighbor that he desires you to be. As you imitate and pursue your perfectly heavenly father, then he will mold you to be more like him. And he will mold you to transform the legacy of your family. So blessed, both my dad and my father-in-law have done this in our families. Both of them grew up in, in varying degrees of broken and dysfunctional homes, and both of them decided that they were going to be imitators of God, and they were going to be the one that changed the legacy of their family trees. I remember one of them saying when they had their first child that they didn't want their home to look like the home they grew up in. So they said, I committed to two things. They said they committed to read their Bible every day and imitate and learn about God through that. And they committed to listen to a, a show on the radio called Focus on the Family, which provides parenting and marriage advice from a Christian perspective. And they said, I'm going to do everything they say to do. And in that, they were humbling themselves and saying, I don't want to model the home I grew up in, but I want to learn more about my Heavenly Father, and I want to follow after Him in His ways. In addition to that, I'm going to get help, and I'm going to follow the experts who know more about God than I do and know more about how that affects the home, the family, my wife, and my children. That's being an imitator of God and being humble enough to recognize I can't do it on my own. I need help. And I'm going to seek help and I'm going to be the best imitator of my heavenly father that I can be. And if we're honest, this is where we all of us need to be. None of us grew up in the perfect home and we need to be imitators of God first and foremost. But again, here's the deal. Just saying that on a Sunday morning that I want to be an imitator of my heavenly father is not enough. We must seek him. We must learn who he is, and we must imitate him the best we can. The reality is that probably means getting some additional help, seeking the advice of experts who are following our Heavenly Father, perhaps seeking uh, Christian counseling to hone my skills or to deal with my past hurts so I don't pass those on. Maybe seeking counseling for my family as a whole as we learn to be better imitators of Jesus. If you're looking for resources on parenting and family from a Christian perspective, Focus on the Family still exists, and it's a tremendous resource. On their website, you can find articles, podcasts, resources on any and every issue that you might be facing as a family. All of these resources can help you have practical tools so you can apply Scripture and lead your family like your Heavenly Father. 
Part of being an imitator of our Heavenly Father is putting our families and our children above our own pride, our own desires, and our own wants. And sometimes that means getting help, and it's worth it. Again, both Melody and I are products of fathers who did this. They came from families that were far from perfect, and they chose to break that cycle and seek God and implement practical biblical teaching in their homes. They chose to let go of their pride and follow God and learn from people who were following him. Other practical things you can do to be an imitator of God at home is to make him a priority. Read your Bible. Pray with your family. Tell your children the stories of a God that loves them, that cares for them, that desires to forgive them and approves of them. We talked about the characteristics of a God as our Heavenly Father. We said he is a perfect Father. He loves us. He will never forsake us. He will never fail us, and he approves of us. As a dad, as a mom, as a grandparent, make sure your children know that you're not perfect. But make sure your children know that you love them. Make sure your children know that you are there for them. Make sure your children know that you approve of them, that you care for them. And you can do this in other aspects of your life as well. In our church, we have some of the greatest teachers, administrators, coaches, child care workers, educators, all fields of business. We have some incredible people in our church. And in that role, you see children every day, many of you. And many of those children have never had someone tell them they cared about them. There are many children that have never had someone tell them they were proud of them, that they loved them. If you have that role in an appropriate way and when it applies, let those kids know that you care for them, that you approve of them, that you're proud of them, and that you love them. I've mentioned it, that I had a great dad, and I'm so thankful for that. But beyond that, some of the most powerful moments in my life are when a granddad, when a mentor, when a coach, when a teacher let me know in a genuine way that they believed in me, that they loved me, that they were proud of me. So be an imitator of God with your family, but also be an imitator of God in all aspects of your life. We said it earlier, but at least a quarter of the kids in our community statistics say they don't have a father at home. So we as Christians can step in and we can point these kids to a heavenly father who loves them through the way we live and love. Your heavenly father is perfect. He loves you. He will never forsake you or fail you. He approves of you. So be an imitator of him and model that relationship to others. So as we wrap up, Adam's going to come. He's just going to softly play. We're going to spend some time just pausing and reflecting on who our Heavenly Father is and who we are in Him. So first, the first place you could be, maybe you're here and you have never chosen to follow after your Heavenly Father. Again, know that He loves you, He cares for you, and He sent Jesus to die for you. But have you ever accepted that forgiveness and entered that relationship? You can do that today. You can simply pray in your chair as we, as we bow, and you can just surrender your life. Say, God, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you sent Jesus out of your love for me. I believe he died the death my sin deserved, and I want to follow after him. The Bible says if you do that with a surrendered heart, he will forgive you. He will call you his son or his daughter. Or maybe you're here and you've been a follower of Jesus a long time. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for two weeks. Today, you just need to rest in the reality that God is perfect and he loves you. 
You've got to find your confidence in the fact that he will never forsake you or fail you. You need to find your identity in the fact that he approves of you. Would you rest in that? Would you pray that that become the truth and reality of your life? And lastly, how is God calling you to imitate him this week, this month, this upcoming year? If you're a father, what is the, the step that you can take this week to imitate him? Maybe it means a commitment to work on your own relationship with God by reading the scriptures. Maybe you need to put down the distractions and just be present in your home. Maybe you need to carve out some time and take your kids fishing. Maybe you need to sign up to be a coach or teach or whatever your kids are involved with. Maybe you just need to tell your kids that you love them, that you're proud of them, that you approve of them. Maybe here, and lastly, you just need to get some practical help to break the the cycle of dysfunction and heal past hurts in your life. So you can be the dad, the granddad, the mom, the mentor, the teacher God has called you to be. Would you take steps to get help to be a better imitator of God? I'm going to pray for us. After I pray for us, Adam will continue to play, and I'm just going to ask everyone to just bow their heads and reflect for just a minute or two. Then I'll close us in prayer, and, and we will... Uh, move on with our Father's Day. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for the confidence that we can have in you. Confidence that if we have followed after you, that we are forgiven. That we are your son or daughter. That our eternity is secure and that it is good. God, we thank you for the characteristics of you. We thank you that you are perfect. That you are holy, that you are without sin. We thank you that you love us and care for us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us. God, we thank you that you approve of us. Despite our failures and sin, you see Jesus' righteousness and you approve of us. God, we thank you that in you there is life. So God, I pray there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Father. Lord, you would open their eyes and their heart to their need for forgiveness, Lord, and to think to trust you and follow after you today. God, I pray for for many here that have known you for a while or for a long time. God, I, I pray that you would help them to find their identity first and foremost in you. God, I pray that you would help them to be the best imitators possible of you, that you would call them to greater faithfulness. Lord, they would have the courage to take those steps to follow you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us and care for us. God, I pray that you would speak to us in these next couple of minutes that you would call us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.
God, again, we thank you that you are a good, perfect, holy Father. And God, I pray that you would call us to deeper faith, Lord, that you would help us to find our identity in you. God, and that we would leave transformed by who you are and what that means in our lives. God, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, once again, thank you so much for being here this morning. If you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that in the box in the back table, we'd appreciate it. It's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, worship team, if you sing on the worship team, they will not be practiced this week, but they will practice uh, next Sunday. 